You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. I'm excited about this series that we're getting into. Um, I haven't been excited, as excited about a sermon uh, since probably Easter. Just kidding. Um, probably my the favorite my most favorite thing I've studied for in this series in the last probably four or five years. I mean I just I have so gotten into this and we're gonna go gonna go through the book of Job and talk about what it means for us when life goes sideways, when things just don't turn out the way we thought they would, when suffering happens and any anybody here ever had life go sideways? You know what I mean? Right? Things just take a turn that you just think, God, why in the world is this happening? What what's the purpose in it? What's why does why do I have to go through this? I'm loving you. I'm serving you. Uh, so why this, right? And I fear we've overlooked so much in the church today about the story of Job. I know I have. Like I've preached. Uh, about the story of Job and use certain scriptures, you know, two or three main issue, you know, scriptures that a lot of guys use, but I've never got into it this deep and, and seen what this really contains. Um, and we've overlooked so much in the church today in the story of, of Job, minimizing the value of it. Uh, or simply coming down to a summary that is uh, of the of the whole book is we you know suck it up you should just praise God in your in your suffering I mean that's just what we boil it down to in all we usually hear and miss so much of the the deep teaching and relationship stuff between us and God and some things between us and other people in the midst of suffering and we've missed a lot of the treasure that's found in this book and I know. Um, I know I have um, just seen some new things, and I can't—I just can't wait to go through this with you. So, there's there is not a definitive answer to who wrote the book of Job, he, although the, there's strong possibility that maybe Job himself wrote it, um, since in the Old Testament at times authors would sometimes refer to themselves in the third person, and he would know the conversations that. Um, he had with people, and but yet to, to get this perspective of, of the conversation that goes on between God and Satan is is obviously divinely inspired, and so how do you account for that other than God alone? And so um, don't know really who who wrote it. Um, no one really knows where the land of Oz. Just kidding. Uz was okay. No one knows where Uz was. That's even weird to say. Uz is where is the name of the the place where where this takes place and where he's living. Some think it's outside the land of Canaan, uh, near the desert, because of the customs, the references, and the vocabulary. A lot of that stuff that relates to the northern Arabia area, and so just because of that, they, it's the only indication we can get. Um, you know, it's it's before the the content of it lets us know it's before Mosaic law is put into place, and so 
you got indications like that and some other things that, that put it between 2100 and 1900 BC. And Job lived for uh, about 210 years total, 140 years after his suffering occurred. And so just want to look into the life of Job. And we're going to cover Job 1 through 210 this morning. And I just want to start by reading that, try to minimize a whole lot of commentary and get into some explanation of some, some issues here. But just want to read this to you uh, before we get started. Um, starting in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. So there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. I'll refrain, but that, that opening is so important and one of the most deeply theological things in this book to understand. But seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, like perhaps his birthday, what that's referring to. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And that's a cultural thing that normally, you can see the, the, that they actually valued their, their women and their sisters um, to, to have that reference in there the way it is. But when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning morning, and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And for Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. That's an almost preemptive against sin that might be in their life. I mean, it's a, it's, he's an amazing man, which is part of the point of this book is, this is a great guy who loved God and served God and was for God and, and, and there's no other reason he should go through suffering other than for God's glory and his purposes. And, and what we'll get into and we'll look at later, today's kind of an introduction to this whole series, but later we'll get into this idea of a proper theology just simply misapplied by a lot of us a lot of times. Because put together with that, uh, with Job being blameless, we'll talk about it in a minute, not perfect, not sinless, but being blameless. And yet there's a scripture that says a man reaps what he sows. How do you put those together? And often it's just a misapplication of a proper theology. Okay? Let's continue. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Note something as we read this, just think in your mind. God starts and ends every conversation with Satan. Okay? The Lord Satan, the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. He says, you can touch all the stuff. You just can't touch him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. It's already hurting me just knowing where this is going. I mean, it's just, I know we go through suffering, but to imagine this, just it just happened to this man who was blameless. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, Another also came, so he doesn't even give him time to catch his breath. Satan doesn't even give him a moment, just hit after hit after hit. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The, Chalde the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Ten sons, three daughters. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And I think when I get to this point, I think about things I've been through. And would this be my response? And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. that our first response he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there this, that statement from him is the point I mean we our stuff our possessions our earthly rewards are not something we ever take with him. I don't care what you have, what you do. None of that matters in the end. I mean, when you hear preachers stand up and say, can't take it with you, when you're laying in that coffin at the end of your life, it will not matter. It won't matter. All that will matter is your relationship with God. That's it. And you can try to pass it down, pass it down, pass it down, and Provide security, provide security, but apart from God, there's no security. 
it won't matter in the end. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And there's, I can't even go all the places that that goes, but we will try to touch some of it today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Like that just it blows my mind. I mean, it just, like I think about my relationship with God and past events and things and times that I would just, I would do that. I, God, why would you do this? Is this, this? You could have kept this from happening. You, God. Chapter 2, verse 1, again, there was a day as if that wasn't enough. Bury all ten kids in one day after losing everything else you own. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan said, I've just been roaming around. That's what you've assigned me to do, right? Walking around, roaming the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job? He's pointing him out again going, Did you see that? Told you. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. There's a deep theological statement right there. There again, we'll get to that. Reap what you sow. What in the world? How does that go with this? Right? Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Now he's saying you can take him to the brink of death if you want to. You just can't kill him. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So painful, itching, distressed, it says, and he took a potsherd to scrape himself. A little some clay, a clay pot, a broken piece of it, and he's scraping himself with it to relieve the itching. to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Thanks, honey. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. I say that to my wife a lot. Oh, she's in here. Hi, honey. Just kidding, just kidding. Yes. Your wife isn't here, she's over here, amen. Okay. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Which makes me think back to the sermon Tony did about our tongue and how hard it is to control. That's a, that's 
that's an amazing thing. But notice this story opens with a good man. Job, who does not know or understand why God has done this to him. Job isn't in on the conversation between God and Satan. He doesn't know what's been said or why or understand. This, this book is so profound. It, it's a huge testimony to the worth and the power and the sufficiency of God at the same time. It's just this overwhelming gift, a treasure in words to us from God that's amazing. This book, it's difficult to endure. It's kind of like when you're on a long trip, like when me and Mickey go to Myrtle Beach with the kids and we got them in the car and every 20 minutes, are we there yet? 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 How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? Are we there yet? Does this look like the beach, kids? Right? And I have my rule every time they ask. I go, it's about 20 minutes. Doesn't matter if it's like five hours more. It just It's enough time that they want to ask for a little while but because it, it satisfies them a little bit. But you know it's coming anyway. Maybe if you told them an hour, it buys you 20 minutes of peace, right? Over and over and over, eight-hour drive. Cannot wait for it to be over. And, and you read Job and you feel that way. Like as you get into these chapters, it's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it, when's it going to be over? When, when are we going to get to the end of this, right? When will it end? And yet at the same time, the reward of enduring the reading and sitting through the journey is a great reward. Just as the kids feel when they get to the beach at the end of the eight hours, right? And so it's an intense and so encompassing of our experience in our life. Like this, this just speaks directly to our, our experience in our lives. And, and it, it speaks to probably the, the biggest problem we have. And it, it, it even speaks somewhat to how, um, I mean, because atheists will point, why is there human suffering? Why, why? Like, there can't be a God. This doesn't make sense. Why is there suffering? Like, it, it is like the pivotal issue for most people. And even in our faith and as Christians, we so often, our devotion hinges on our comfort and our pleasure. And, do, and it comes down to, do we really love God for just God? So for Job and hopefully for us, in the satisfaction in the end. Job found a lot of answers to some of his questions, but a lot he didn't. But maybe we'd find satisfaction even in so much mystery and questions. The pastor Mahaney uh, said this. He said, God stands revealed in his hiddenness, an object of terror, adoration, and love. And Job stands before him trusting and satisfied. There's another guy, Francis Anderson, commentator, wrote that it is a monumental work, the, the book of Job, a prodigious book. Its majesty and emotion are unsurpassed in any literature, ancient or modern. From one man's agony, it reaches out to the mystery of God. It is one of the best gifts of God to man. Remember, it's not a matter of if you will ever suffer, right? This when. 
in this life, we all, if you just live long enough, you will suffer, okay? Sooner, if not later. But we're guaranteed by the words of Jesus Himself in the New Testament. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You're going to suffer. You're going to have pain. There's going to be problems. Guaranteed. And we'd often, and I often preach, it's because it's a cursed world, and that's part of it. We have problems because of sin. But there's another side to that. And this is the part we overlook that you don't hear about in church. When you look at Job, that wasn't his issue. In fact, his issue was he was blameless and in, in following God as good as any man could. And that became his issue. Is as a trophy for God, he was held up for suffering. Nobody's given a pass on suffering, and yet so many, even Christians, so many people are not prepared for suffering. You ever go through suffering and you just feel like God is nowhere to be found? Like you ever experienced that? You're like, that He doesn't care what you're going through? He feels so far away? You think He hates you? You're like, God must not like me very much. I've, but I've been doing the, all the right stuff, so why is this this way? But you feel that way. Anybody ever felt like that? Come on, stay with me, okay? I know my sermons are harder to endure than the book of Job, but you just, let's, just, let's just stay in there together, okay? If, if you don't understand suffering and aren't ready for it when it comes, we, we so often will find ourselves dragged off into all kinds of temptations and sin and bad coping addictions, escapism. There's all these things we, we will just run to if we're not prepared for suffering in our lives. We don't deal with suffering well because we aren't well prepared. Again, C.J. Mahaney, one of my favorite quotes. I've used this before. This is enormous, okay? He said this. He said, you will need your best theology in your darkest moment. You will need the theology revealed in Job. Job wasn't a bad guy, okay? It says he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turned away from evil. This is so huge to understand. He was not sinless. He was not perfect. We talked about this issue when, when we talked about Noah back in Genesis. Referred to the same way that he was a righteous man. Okay. He was genuine and authentic in his faith. His life was characterized by repentance of sin and faith in God. This is so important for us to understand that the that it's so important that God put it as the opening verse of Job. This is what you got to understand up front first. It is there so that we understand that there's such a suffering, such a thing as suffering for those for people who are good in a manner of speaking. That suffering's not reserved for those who do evil. One guy said, I can't remember who it was, he said that, that there is suffering that is totally unrelated to sin. You can be a good person, innocent, faithful, and still have bad things happen to you, not just at the hands of a cursed world, 
And I know this theology and this book of Job goes completely against those who preach a prosperity gospel. I don't know how in the world you even touch this book having a prosperity gospel type gospel outlook. But I trust the, the Bible. And I hesitate to say this, but I'm just, I'm just telling you this is... There are people out there who preach... I hesitate to mention names, but so many people watch this stuff on TV. And it's garbage, and it's killing your faith. Don't listen to that garbage. It just says, if you just have enough faith, if you just follow God good enough, if you just do the right thing, if you just have enough faith, then you won't have suffering. You'll prosper. You'll have health, wealth, all that stuff. The reason you don't have those things is because you don't have enough faith. Is because you're not loving God good enough. You're not walking closely enough with Him. And the book of Job says that's garbage. And that is not biblical at all. It will wreck your faith. When that suffering comes, you'll just look and go, God doesn't love me. I'm not good enough. I'm, my faith is, is wrong. My, it'll mess it with your theology. You will not know which way is up. This opening line tells us that Job's suffering is not related to sin. It's not because he doesn't have enough faith. It's not because he's not doing enough to atone for his sin. It's not because he's not doing all the right things and walking closely with God. It is not. He's suffering because he is. Hello? So tell, tell me how that fits a prosperity gospel. It does not fit any category in it. Job had no hidden sin or skeletons in his closet that caused this. The Bible declares that about Job and wants us to know that up front. He is the greatest man in the East and wealthy. And so this is the opposite of the prosperity gospel, the story. It's the opposite. Which will show that the reason Job has tragedy befall him is not because of sin, but because he's blameless. He's, his faithfulness and his great faith are the very reason we'll see that his suffering comes. It's not that if you have enough faith you will prosper or suffering won't come. There is, but here's the reason why Job suffers. Here, it's the reason he suffers is his great faith. So don't listen to that. I can't pound that enough. Don't listen to that prosperity gospel nonsense, okay? The prosperity gospel nonsense is Satan's teaching in this book that the only reason he loves you is because of the stuff you give him. That is, he has faith in you to get stuff. To get health, wealth, all those things. That's this the Bible shows that's Satan's teaching. It's Satan's teaching as he stood in heaven and rebelled against God and said, I don't want to worship you. You're not good enough to be worshipped alone just for who you are, but I am. And rebels against God, convinces a third of the angels. God's not worth being worshipped just for who he is. Come with me and I'll give you more. Right? It's not God's teaching. Don't always assume when God seems distant and you're going through a difficult time and you're in a time of loss that it's because God is far away and you're not loved and He's mad at you or you're not wanted by Him. It may be that your faith is so great, that you're so loved, that God is so near and so pleased with you 
that you're suffering. Have a prosperity gospel preacher tell you that. Okay? Job was a, a man who was very aware of his sin and its consequences and wanted to please God all the time, even beforehand if possible. You know this in verse 5. He would get up early and often consecrate his family and sacrifice a burnt offering just in case they had secretly sinned in their hearts. It, was, it says continually he did, did this. Sounds like what Jesus would do for us now, right? Our continual sacrifice once for all. Okay, there's so many pointings, foreshadowings, allusions to Jesus and who He is and what He would do for us. Job is a great godly man, family man, great leader, great priest to his family, very aware of sin and the need for sacrifice, loves God. I can't say this enough, right? You're like, I get this, but we're getting, I mean, this is about suffering, so you've got to get some good stuff here. And they would celebrate birthdays together and often, they would celebrate often, had a lot of wealth, but were not arrogant in their wealth. Not arrogant before God, having all they had. It was as good as it gets, as one guy would say, east of Eden. But yet it comes, tragedy and suffering beyond imagination comes to us, comes to Job. Verses 6 through 12 is a conversation between God and Satan in which it's not Satan who brings up Job. You got to get this because this, this is a huge, this is the stuff we skip over in our churches when we just allude to Job but we don't go through the book of Job. This was not an attack by Satan. But it was rather initiated by God. God asked Satan, what have you been up to? As though he doesn't know, right? It's almost like Satan's walking by and he's like, hey, 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 what have you been doing? I got, I'm, man, I'm going to get him, right? What have you been doing? He's like, well, just wandering the earth. Walking around, to and fro. Leaves out the part, seeking whom I may devour, as the New Testament says about him. Wandering the earth. So God says, hey, seen Job? Seen my servant Job? He's awesome. Like, he's the man. Like, he loves me. He loves me so much that you've wandered around, and he's one that you haven't been able to devour. You haven't been able to sway him one bit. You know why? Because I am his God and he loves me. Have you seen my servant Job and considered how great it is? is? He loves me so much, so upright that he turns from evil. Before you get there, he's already offered atonement for sin, sacrifice for sin, just in case you might fool him. Right? I mean, he's dogging Satan about Job. God initiated. God puts Job before Satan, not the other way around. God initiated circumstances. And I know this flips the minds of a lot of us about God and His goodness, and here He is creating problems. Is he, God is good. There's a huge reason for this. And it's... I'll get into it in a moment. About purpose. Okay? And righteousness. It's all greater than happiness prosperity God's so proud of Job so adores Job that he says look see how he loves me how Job worships me and 
Job follows me. God delights in Job and puts Job before Satan as a great purpose that God will use Job for. It, it, let's go ahead and talk about it. You know, you know what's greater than prosperity? And we know this when I say this. But we pursue prosperity, especially in this country, over all else most of the time. Even subconsciously, it's just ingrained in us in our culture. You know what's better than prosperity? Purpose. And we know this, and we read great stories about people who have come from nothing, and they use their nothing for great purpose. They use people who have great prosperity, and they forsake it all for great purpose, and doing something great in the world and in their lives for, for the good of others. And we read those stories, and we're like, oh, I just want to be that kind of person who, who just no matter what life brings, I, I'm used for some great purpose and make a difference in this world. We want to make a difference more than we want to be wealthy. It's in our hearts. God's put that in there. And we know this, but yet we get so fooled that if I'm just secure in my prosperity, that will take care of everything. You know what's greater than happiness? Righteousness. I was listening to an Easter service from the, the ark thing up in Kentucky. It was Ray Comfort was doing a thing on answering atheists, and I was listening to that, and he talked about this, how we know this, even intrinsically we understand this, but yet it, when you say it up front, it doesn't make sense to us because we think happiness is where it's at. But happiness is it. But we know that righteousness is greater than happiness. Okay? Because if we just do things for happiness, we say, okay, if there's a guy that says, you know, it makes me happy to just mug people and beat them up and take their money. No, that's, we know that's wrong. We know it's better for him not to do that and to do the right thing. Happiness doesn't trump righteousness. Righteousness trumps happiness. To do the right thing is better than being happy. You don't just follow your nature and do what makes you happy. We as a society understand it's not just because it makes some guy happy to, to mess with some little kid, right? No, that's not right. Righteousness trumps his happiness. We know that as a culture and a society. Everywhere you look on that deal, the righteousness always trumps happiness. Purpose always trumps prosperity. And the theology of Satan comes out. The thinking that got Satan in trouble in heaven and kicked out in the first place shines through even in this moment with Satan saying to God, yeah, I know. Satan says, he says, God, you're not enough for Job alone. You, you won't make him happy. He only loves you for the stuff that you give him for his prosperity. You are not worthy of worship on your own. Satan's original attack in, in heaven. You take his stuff, his comfort, his gifts, that hedge that you've put around him of security, you take all that and he will curse you to your face. Taunting God, right? You, you, you take away that and he'll curse you to your face. And I can just, in my mind, I hear Satan looking at him going, just like I did. Satan says, Job doesn't love you. He loves what you give him. 
Job's goodness is simply because of his prosperity. He is just evidence that if you follow God, you get stuff. That's what, that's what Satan's saying. Satan preached in that moment a prosperity gospel. Look at it, verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you not have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So Satan taunts God and says, Take away all, take it all away and you will see he doesn't love you. And here's the, this book called Job is not about Job. Okay? It's all about God being enough to be served and loved simply for who He is. Satan says He simply loves you because you're paying Him off. I mean, that's how He puts it. You're bribing Him to be your servant, your friend, to love you, to be your follower. So what we see here is that the glory of God is what is at stake and Job will be used for that great purpose to show otherwise. So God allows Satan to take it from him. He takes the challenge and says to Satan, you can take all Job has, only you can't touch him, only what he has, his wealth, servants, family. I think it's interesting he left his wife behind. So that you understand, you see here that God is all-powerful and Satan has boundaries put in place by God. Okay, you got to understand how this works. Like I said, it's, it's not a good and evil, equal forces. It's not the dark side and the and, you know the light. The you know it's not the same force, but it's been divided and it's against each other. Not that dualistic view of. It's Satan versus God, and they both have the same power, and they're battling it out to see who wins. No, God's already won. Okay? God is all-powerful. Satan is not. The devil belongs to God. Was it Luther that, that said that the, the devil is God's devil? Right? And God begins and ends every conversation with Satan. He dictates what's going on. Satan does only what he is told he can do. Satan is a small player in this story and actually walks away. He, Satan vanishes from this whole thing beyond chapter 2. You don't even see him anymore. He's a small player. And in the end, God does prove that he's worth far more than any earthly wealth, any possessions, anything this world can provide. Job has no idea of the conversation between God and Satan, and yet he loses all that he has, loses it all. And I know some of you have lost children. But what would it, what would it be like to bury ten kids in one day? After just losing everything you own. All at the same time. Can't imagine the pain. But the response of Job is staggering. I, I I pray I could grow to be this kind of guy. I mean, I really do. Like I know you're going, well, you're the pastor. You're like 
this this is a, this is a growth and a maturity you aspire to, but you wonder, can I ever get there? But it doesn't keep you from moving forward. Then, verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He doesn't question, and he doesn't blame God. I mean, isn't that crazy? He blesses the Lord in the midst of all that. Satan says, hey God, Job's going to curse you to your face. But Job doesn't. He acknowledges God's right to give and take away. In his loss, his thinking goes to his God who had been the source of everything that was good in his life. All this good stuff he wouldn't have known if God hadn't given it to him in the first place. So I just have to ask a few questions, okay? You just lost everything you've got, buried all your children. What would your response be? What would your first reaction be? Would it be praising God who had given it to you in the first place? Would you fall down and worship? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Without the power and grace of God, it would not be anyone's first thought. How God must, must have smiled and been so happy when Job reacted this way. Not that he didn't know he wouldn't, right? And you would assume this is enough suffering to prove the point, right? No, Satan challenges at the start of chapter 2 after losing all of his kids. He goes again and says, what about his health? Notice God initiates it again. Here he comes walking by again. Hey, Satan, what are you doing? You know what I'm doing. I'm walking around, right? And God's like, you see what happened with Job? He's like, yeah, but take his health. You didn't take everything from him. You didn't go all out. Take that and the health from him, and Job will curse you to your face. And God says, okay, but you just can't take his life. He dictates. Starts and ends the conversation. It's all God initiated. Okay, we've got to keep that in mind. He's stricken with boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. After burying ten kids, losing everything. There's a guy named Christopher Ash wrote in a commentary on Job, the glory of God really is more important than your or my comfort. I think it's interesting that Satan didn't take Job's wife and all this, left her, not sure what that's implying, but she came along. Come on, y'all got to lighten up a little bit, okay? But she comes along and adds injury to insult at this point, tells Job that he should just curse God and die, okay? And I know if it, for me, I know what it means for my wife's voice to be just encouraging me and spurring me on at times. I don't believe I'd still be standing up here or would, would have made it through things that don't even compare to what Job's went through if it were not for that helpmate's voice in my life 
encouraging me. Telling me that God is still good. Ladies, you carry great influence with your husbands, whether you know it or not. Don't underestimate the weight of this on Job. Talk about disrespect. Why don't you just curse God and die? What's she saying to him? I don't even care if you're around, right? To have your wife tell you that. If if one thing Nikki has always done is come alongside me and tell me to keep going and keep trusting God that He is sufficient. And I understand how Mrs. Job must have been grieving as well in all this. She's just lost ten kids. She's just lost all this too. But then to turn on your husband, right? For what? What did he do? But, But listen, how easily, some of you understand this. I've watched it with people who have lost children and then all of a sudden husband and wife are at each other. Why? How easily we blame and turn on each other in times of stress. It, it happens just like that. As though we're not on the same team anymore. Just because suffering happened to us. Physical, emotional, intellectual, relational pain. All this overwhelming Job. All levels of suffering and pain. And in all this Still, Job says to her, in verse 10, says, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So more questions to help us process this. How, how do you interpret the goodness of God in your life? What lens? How how is it? What do you? How do you attribute? It, what do you do with any of the prosperity going on in your life? How do you interpret that? Anything you have that is good, anything about you that is prosperous, you have because of simply who God is. You have not earned it. And I understand the good old American you know, thinking and we're a proud nation and we built this, I almost said we built this city. Sorry, Jefferson Starship <laughs> took over for just a second. Okay, um, you know, we built this nation. We, we, we did this. We're, I mean, American made in the USA proud, right? We're just, we're all about it. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I made it. You wouldn't didn't have any bootstraps if it weren't for God. You wouldn't have a brain if it weren't for God. You wouldn't have air to breathe if it weren't for God. You wouldn't have the opportunity to do anything if it weren't for God. You, you cannot say, I earned this, I did this, this is mine. It was given to you because God is gracious, because of who He is. Because He is who He is, because He is gracious, gracious, because He is loving, because He is kind, you have. Wherever there is blessing, the Lord gave. And that should humble us. It should help us keep in mind that all prosperity here is temporary and not the greatest thing of value. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. When you think about that statement, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Another question. 
What is it that you are afraid could be taken away? Aren't you glad you came here this morning? What gifts has God given you that you fear could be taken? What suffering do you fear? All our fears are dealt with in the story of Job. And that's the gift of this book. To give us strength and purpose and hope in our suffering. It'd be painful to lose what we fear losing. Right? But this book in in the Bible lets us know it can be dealt with in a way that has great purpose. And it's for our good in the end. Our loss as believers will always contain, at least in part, the great purpose of declaring God can be loved and served simply for who He is. To put it in the face of Satan. God may use taking from you for that great purpose. There's a guy named Tim Keller, best sums this up. There's a book he wrote called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, and he writes this. We should have God for himself alone, not for the benefits he brings. How do you develop a love like that? How can you move from loving God to a mercenary way toward God, way toward loving God himself? How do you move from having this mercenary type love of being hired to love him to just loving God for himself? What he's saying. I'm afraid the primary way is to have hardship come into your life. That's how you get there. Like you can't get there without the suffering. You get that? You can't learn to love God just for who he is if you never suffer. It's a gift. All of you are looking at me like you don't like that. I don't either. But it's the truth and it's good for us, right? It says, suffering first helps you to assess yourself and see the mercenary nature of your love for God. When your most cherished, cherished things are taken from you, you may be tempted to angrily reject Him. But then suffering gives you an opportunity. Instead of giving up on God and moving away from Him, You could adjust and focus on him in a way you had never done before. Job would become more fully someone who serves God for nothing and loves God for himself alone. And so God willed to show the host of heaven as well as the hundreds of millions of readers of the book of Job that he can make human beings into loving servants. Isn't that wonderful? To think of the purpose Job served for all of us, even today. So we should move toward loving God unconditionally as He does us. What are you trusting in? What's your security? Do you not want to grow in your knowledge and your love of God? Job comes out on the other side of things going, 
sideways and has a deeper knowledge and relationship with God and a far greater love for God. And this is God's gift to us in suffering. I can get to the end of this and the verse that's normally used is Job saying, you know, I, I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my, I see you. Like I know you greater now than I did before my suffering. A blameless man suffered so the glory of God could be seen. And this blameless man, Job, who suffered for God's glory, simply points us to somebody else, which is even more amazing. Okay? Jesus. Jesus is all through the Bible. And you could read the book of Job and totally miss it. You could go, nice story about a guy who suffered and hung in there. Right? Job knew his righteousness wasn't enough for his family or anyone else. Later in Job 9.33, Job will cry out, if only there was a, I love the NASB says, if only there was an umpire. Most versions say a mediator. That's how you probably heard it said. If only there was a mediator between us and God. Someone to bring us together with God who cries out that way. Somebody to bring God and man together. Job knew he needed more than his sacrifices could offer, more than his blamelessness himself could provide. Job would not curse God and die, but Jesus would be cursed by God and die for us. Job was allowed to keep his life, spared by God, but Jesus would come one day to give His. The suffering of Jesus would outweigh all other suffering for all of time combined. And in so doing, that sacrifice would free us from eternal suffering. Think of it this way. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. There's so much contained in that. We look at it simply a lot, but the Lord, think of it this way, the Lord gave Himself and took away our sin. We'll accept that giving and taking, right? Why not all other types of giving and taking from God? To get God is better than anything else that can be taken. The only thing you can't lose is God Himself if you're His. So let's pray this morning. Maybe you're here today and I don't, I don't know where you are with this. Do you, do you see God for who He really is? And do you know that He is good? That He has great purpose for you? Do you see the value of God alone for who He is? All good things that we'll ever have come from God alone. If that's you this morning. You've been traveling through life and your life has been about what you can get and your prosperity and about being comfortable and finding your security and all kinds of other things. You've been running your own life. You, you 
think you're just deserving and man, I've, I've earned this and it's, I'm self-made. This morning you see it's, it's God. Only good things come from Him. And so I see Jesus for who He is, that He made a way for me to know God by dying on the cross in my place for my sin, that I could have a relationship with the God who, who can give and take away and it's His prerogative to do so. I want to I want to know God deeper. I want a relationship with Him and follow Him, be used for His purposes. If that's you this morning, you just turn from yourself and your sin. You just turn to, to Jesus. Turn to God through Jesus Christ this morning. You just have that conversation with Him right where you're sitting. You say, God, best I know how. I'm giving myself to You. It's not about the things You give me. I love You. Thank You for your provision of Jesus on the cross for me that I could be forgiven and by your power and your Holy Spirit I'm going to walk through this life victorious regardless of what I have because I have you. So just repent. Turn to Jesus this morning. If that's you, I just just hope you'd contact me. Come see me. My card's out front. Email. Call me. Whatever, and let's, I just want to help you in your next steps following Jesus. For the rest of us that would say, yes, I'm a believer. Maybe I don't always get this right. But I just want to pray for you right now. God, would you just, in, in the suffering that's in this room, that may be online through Facebook Live or you know, on the internet later as this is played by someone, Father, in their suffering, I just pray that they would find deep satisfaction in you in the midst of their suffering. Father, would you just give them a vision of you, a clear communication from you? We know sometimes that doesn't happen. Would they hold fast to the faith they profess in the midst of their suffering, Father? By your Holy Spirit, would you, would, by your power, would you just enable them to react like Job? Would you move us all toward, toward that kind of theology? It says it's not about whose fault or why, but it's just that God may be glorified, that, Father, you would be seen as the greatest treasure by us all. So, Father, thank you for today. May we sing and worship as people who really believe this, that we believe the words we're singing. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus, the one you gave took away our sin. Thank you for that. We could have eternal life with you regardless of what happens in this life. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.